0: Hi, thanks for joining me. My name is Desiree Baker. I'll be reading to you today from The New American, dated May 24, 2021. The article name is What the Founders Feared by Major General Donald A. McGregor, USAF. Fox News published an article on March eleventh entitled Defense Secretary Austin Overruled National Guard Chief on Keeping Troops at Capitol. Memo. To the average reader, this may appear to be a sensationalized story throwing fuel on the embers of an already charred issue in our capital. But the story captures the growing and troubling divide between the secretary of defense and the chief of the National Guard Bureau over the appropriate use of the National Guard and reveals a much larger and more concerning dilemma, something that our founding fathers feared most. The Fox article references a defense memo in military terms, a coordination sheet, normally used to concur or non-concur on issues within the Department of Defense. In this particular instance, a memo from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin requested an extension of National Guard support to U.S. Capitol Police with an additional 2,280 Guardsmen to support the U.S. Capitol Police security detail beyond March 12th. From my experience in the Pentagon, This type of appeal is not easily granted. It usually requires a stringent justifying rationale and reason that explains the request's urgency. Each submission is officially petitioned through a formal request for assistance and sent to the Defense Department's Executive Secretary, where it is staffed for coordination, an arduous process involving rigorous approval criteria that can take weeks. This is where the problem begins. The latest Capitol Police request to extend the National Guard support was not only hastily coordinated, it was done in two days, but also failed to give a convincing case for approval. Laying out its rationale for the Defense Department, the Capitol Police referenced the Department of Homeland Security's National Terrorism Advisory System, particularly a January 27th threat bulletin as the chief reason for the augmented security support. The bulletin summary describes a heightened threat environment using words such as believes or suggests in which ideologically motivated violent extremists, domestic violent extremists, DVE, could continue to mobilize to incite or commit violence. The bulletin goes on to link, without evidence, the El Paso, Texas, DVE attacks in 2019 to the January 6th Capitol riots, saying, Some DVEs may be emboldened by the January 6, 2021 breach of the U.S. Capitol Building, a dubious threat association that has no place in the Capitol Police request. But the problems don't stop there. Federal statutes and defense directives come into play when the military is used in direct support of law enforcement, which is the case here. Posse Comitatus and Section 275 of Title 10 U.S.C. are federal laws limiting the power of the federal government in using service members to execute the laws, including search, seizure, arrest, or other similar activity. What's more, the Defense Support of Civil Authorities Directive provides ruling guidance for any military support of law enforcement, the defense regulation has six approval criteria to examine and assess the need for support. If we use the regulation's six criteria, legality, lethality, risk, cost, appropriateness, and readiness, a legitimate argument can be made that any one of them would disqualify the Capitol Police application, a troubling Defense Department miscue. Yet as disturbing as that is, it is not the main concern. The National Guard Chief's non to the Capitol Police demand gave two reasons. One, the Guard is already maxed out with supporting COVID relief, natural disasters, civil disturbance operations, and ongoing overseas deployments. And two, to involuntarily activate the Guard for any Defense Department mission, the Defense Secretary must have the Governor's consent. Yet as the memo mentioned, numerous adjutants, general and governors have expressed their unwillingness to order the involuntary mobilization of Guard personnel to man the mission. This leads us to the grander dilemma. The aforementioned Fox News article links to a related story claiming that the Defense Department is reportedly considering issuing involuntary activation orders to keep the National Guard troops stationed at the U.S. Capitol. The problem with this is that the Defense Secretary possesses no legal authority to involuntarily activate the Guard in a Title 32 status. Any attempt would be unlawful and create a constitutional crisis. In accordance with Title 32 law, the Secretary can request the State Governors send Guard members to perform other duty in support of Defense Department operations or missions, but the Secretary cannot order. Guard members to perform other duty in support of Defense Department operations or missions, only a state governor can order a non-federalized National Guard member to perform duty. To avoid the need for governor's consent and posse comitatus restrictions would require an Insurrection Act declaration, a rare presidential decree allowing federal troops to quell rebellion and enforce laws, but only in dire situations. Based on current threat assessments, this action would be unwarranted. If attempted, the Defense Secretary's indiscriminate act would constitute an illegal end run around posse comitatus and congressional legislative powers. The Secretary would have to ignore Congress's constitutional authority under Article I of the U.S. Constitution to make all laws, including posse comitatus, Section 275 of Title X, and the exception to these laws, the Insurrection Act. Furthermore, the Defense Secretary's action would encroach on Congress's constitutional power of the purse by spending money on unlawful purpose, a purpose of obligation or fiscal offense under the Purpose Statute and Anti-Deficiency Act. So what conditions or threats justify creating a constitutional quandary? Are the circumstances in DC serious enough to push a defense secretary to breach the law or a president to invoke a rarely used insurrection law? Is there a legitimate threat assessment with evidence of groups mobilizing to incite or commit violence, not merely to suggest or believe in such sedition? Have there been any violent or anarchist actions since January 6th to justify the extreme need for involuntarily activating our guardsmen? An obvious lack of evidence would tell us no. So where does this bring us? The questionable involuntary activation of the guard under Title 32 without state governor's consent or invoking the Insurrection Act sets a worrying precedent that undermines U.S. law and, more importantly, is what our Founding Fathers feared most, the use of the military to control the people. It appears that the Defense Secretary has not only ignored this legal misstep but has disregarded the National Guard's chief readiness concerns and pleas to end the Guard's support for the D.C. mission. In a recent memo, the National Guard chief commented, quote, The continued, indefinite nature of this requirement, the DC security mission, may also impede our ability to man future missions as both adjutants, general, and guardsmen alike may be skeptical about committing to similar policing endeavors. Close quote. It would be more preferable, he said, if DC pursued other law enforcement options. This is another subtle and important warning to Defense Secretary Austin. The unconstitutionality of these acts threatens the long-term stability of the republic. Using the military to police the citizenry was anathema to our founders. It is, for example, the reason Article I of the Constitution grants Congress the power to raise an army, but not to maintain it. The Founders knew that without these critical separations of authority, at some point, the military might be turned on the people. A homogenized military force under the control of an unchecked federal government or a corrupt Congress would be the end of our constitutional protections. The Founding Fathers designed the system to keep the standing military relatively small, Distributing a substantial portion of the armed forces across the states and later the territories and districts in the form of state-controlled, organized militias, the diffusion of military power among the sovereign states helps prevent the federal government from using the military to control the domestic population. When state governors are complicit in the co-opting of their sovereign militias by the federal government to be used as an illegal domestic police force, as is the case here, it distorts the balance of power between state and federal governments. Further, it abdicates the state's responsibility, granted by the Constitution, to protect the liberties and freedoms of their citizens. The defense secretary is ignoring the law circumventing regulations, and potentially spawning an unnecessary constitutional crisis, a decision that should strike fear into the hearts of freedom-loving Americans. What our founding fathers feared most was a president or military chief coalescing military forces against citizens, just one of history's tragic paths to tyranny and oppression. In the May 24th, 2021, New American, William F. Jasper wrote, Police, military, different roles, different goals. In his essay above, Major General McGregor notes, Using the military to police the citizenry was anathema to our founders, and further reminds us that this misuse of military power is one of history's tragic paths to tyranny and oppression. One of history's most famous examples of this path to tyranny is Julius Caesar's crossing of the Rubicon River at the head of his legion. In bringing his army into Rome, he knowingly violated the explicit orders of the Roman Senate, as well as the sacred tradition of the Roman Republic. It was an act of treason and a declaration of war against the Republic. Civil war soon followed. So began the reign of the Caesars and the transition from Republic to Empire. Our Founding Fathers were mindful of this example and many others from history's dustbin of lost freedoms. They recognized the military's forces necessary to protect the nation from both invasion from without and insurrection from within. However, they also struggled with the perennial conundrum of how to prevent politicians and generals from using the military to establish dictatorship. The checks and balances they established in our constitutional system strictly limit the federal government's use of the military with the unorganized militias, the armed citizenry, and the organized state militias serving as counterposing forces to the national military. The founders also recognized the fundamental distinction between a military force and a police force. Members of the military are warriors. It is their job to fight our wars. Members of the police and the sheriff's department are peacekeepers. It is their job to protect and to serve, to keep the peace and enforce the law. The mission of the military is to repel, kill, or capture the enemy, destroy enemy capabilities, and capture and occupy enemy territory. The military services, by nature of their mission, training, and national command structure, cannot appropriately serve the function of local law enforcement. They would be an occupying army as foreign to our nature as would be an invading foreign army and unaccountable to local control. The National Guard are often called up by governors for emergencies such as hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, blizzards, and riots, but their service is temporary and not a replacement for local law enforcement. That is why the Biden administration's push to nationalize Guard units is particularly alarming. Recognizing the perennial danger of usurpation, the founders wisely reserved police power to the states or to the people. Although the federal government over the past several decades has been usurping more and more control over local police, we are still blessed to have in these United States a system of local control over our police and sheriffs. If and when genuine cases of police brutality or excessive force do occur, Legitimate means already exist at the state and local levels for corrective action. These include the police commander, police chief, police commissioner, internal affairs office, city council, mayor, county supervisors, city attorney, district attorney, grand jury, and state attorney general. And if the laws need to be changed in this regard, local officials and state legislators, not politicians in Washington, D.C., are the appropriate authorities to